Chapter Sixteen of The Search by Grace Livingston Hill. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Like Many Waters. Chapter Sixteen. The first night on the water was one of unspeakable horror to Cameron. They had scarcely begun to feel the roll of the waves before Captain Wirtz manifested his true nature at six o'clock and broad daylight he ordered the men below and had them locked in and all the portholes closed the place was packed the heat was unbearable the motion increasing all the time and the air soon became intolerable in vain the men protested and begged for air their requests were all denied the captain trusted no man he treated them as if they were hounds wainwright stood by the captain's side smoking the inevitable cigarette his eyes narrowly watching cameron when the order was given but no onlooker could have told from cameron's well-trained face whether he had heard or not well he knew where those orders had originated and instantly he saw a series of like torments wainwright had things in his own hands for this voyage wirtz was his devoted slave for wainwright had money and used it freely with his captain and wainwright well knew how to think up tortures it was really the only thing in which he was clever and here again was an instance of practice making perfect for wainwright had done little else since his kindergarten days than to think up trials for those who would not bow to his peevish will he seemed to be gifted in finding out exactly what would be the finest kind of torture for any given soul who happened to be his victim he had the mind of nero and the spirit of a mean little beast the wonder the great miracle was that he had not in some way discovered that ruth had been visiting the camp and taken his revenge before she left this was the first thought that came to cameron when he found himself shut into the murky atmosphere the next thought was that perhaps he had discovered it and this was the result he felt himself the jonah for the company and as the dreadful hours went by would fain have cast himself into the sea if there had been a possible way of escape it was not an american transport on which they were sailing and the captain was not responsible for the food but he might have refused to allow such meals to be served to his men if he had cared he did not care that was the whole trouble he ate and drank principally drank and did whatever wainwright suggested when a protest came up to him he turned it down with a laugh and said oh that's good enough for a buck private and went on with his dirty jokes the supper that first night was abominable some unpleasant kind of meat cooked with cabbage and though they tried to eat it many of them could not keep it down the ship rolled and the men grew sick the atmosphere became fetid each moment seemed more impossible than the last there was no room to move neither could one get out and away after supper the men lay down in the only place there was to lie two men on the tables two men on the benches each side two men on the floor between and so on all over the cabin packed like eggs in a box they sent a message to their captain begging for air but he only laughed and sent word back that they would have air enough before they got through with this war the night wore on and cameron lay on his scant piece of floor he had given his bench to a sicker man than himself and tried to sleep but sleep did not visit his eyelids he was thinking thinking i'm going to find god i'm going to search for him with all my heart and somehow i'm going to find him before i'm done i may never come home but i'll find god anyhow 
It's the only thing that makes life bearable. Then would come a wave of hate for his enemy and wipe out all other thoughts, and he would wrestle in his heart with the desire to kill Wainwright, yes, and the captain too. As some poor wretch near him would writhe and groan in agony, his rage would boil up anew, his fists would clench, and he would half rise to go to the door and overpower that guard. If only he could get up to where the officers were enjoying themselves. Oh, to bring them down here and bind them in this loathsome atmosphere, feed them with this food, stifle them in the dark with closed portholes. His brain was fertile with thoughts of revenge. Then suddenly across his memory would flash the words, If with all your heart ye seek him, and he would reach out in longing. Oh, if he could find God, surely God would stop a thing like this. Did God have no power in his own earth? Slowly, painfully, the days dragged by, each worse than the last. In the mornings the men must go on deck, whether they were sick or not, and must stay there all day, no matter what the weather. If they were wet they must dry out by the heat of their bodies. There was no possibility of getting at their kit-bags, it was so crowded. No man was allowed to open one. All they had was the little they carried in their packs. How they lived through it was a wonder, but lived they did. Perhaps the worst torture of all was the great round cork life-preserver in the form of a cushioned ring which they were obliged to wear night and day. A man could never lie down comfortably with it on, and if from sheer exhaustion he fell asleep, he awoke with his back aching tortures. The meat and cabbage was varied twice by steamed fish served in its scales, tails, fins, heads, and entrails complete. All that they got which was really eatable was a small bun served in the morning and boiled potatoes occasionally. Nevertheless, these hardships would have been as nothing to Cameron if they had not represented to him hate, pure and simple. He felt, and perhaps justly, that if Wainwright had not wished to make him suffer, these things would surely have been mitigated. The day came at last when they stood on the deck and watched the strange foreign shore draw nearer. Cameron, stern and silent, stood apart from the rest. For the moment his anger toward Wainwright was forgotten, though he could hear the swaggering tones from the deck above, and the noisome laughter of words in response. Cameron was looking into the face of the future, wondering what it would mean for him. Out there was the strange country. What did it hold for him? Was God there? How he wanted God to go with him and help him face the future. There was much delay in landing and getting ready to move. The men were weak from sickness and long fasting. They tottered as they stood, but they had to stand unless they dropped. They turned wan faces toward one another and tried to smile. Their fine American pep was gone, hopelessly, yet they grinned feebly now and then and got off a weak little joke or two. For the most part they glared when the officers came by, especially two, those two. The wrath toward them had been brewing long and deep, as each man lay weltering through those unbearable nights. Hardship they could bear, and pain and sickness, but tyranny, never. Someone had written a letter. It was not the first. There had been others on shipboard protesting against their treatment, but this letter was a warning to that captain and lieutenant. If they ever led these men into battle, they would be killed before the battle began. It was signed by the company. It had been a unanimous vote. 
now as they stood staring leadenly at the strange sights around them listening to the new jargon of the shore noting the quaint headdresses and wooden sabots of the people with a fine scorn of indifference they thought of that letter in hard phrases of rage and bitterest of all were the thoughts of john cameron as he stood in his place awaiting orders they were hungry these men and unfit when at last the order came to march and they had to hike it straight up a hill with a great pack on their backs it was not that they minded the packs or the hike or the hunger it was the injustice of their treatment that weighed upon them like a burden that human nature could not bear they had come to lift such a burden from the backs of another nation and they had been treated like dogs all the way over like the low rumbling of oncoming thunder was the blackness of their countenances as they marched up up and up into breast the sun grew hot and their knees wobbled under them from sheer weakness strong men when they started who were fine and fit now faint like babies yet with spirits unbroken and great vengeance in their hearts they would fight oh they would fight yes but they would see that captain out of the way first here and there by the way some fell the wonder is they all did not and had to be picked up by the ambulances and at last they had to be ordered to stop and rest they who had come over here to flaunt their young strength in the face of the enemy they to fall before the fight was begun this too they laid up against their tyrant but there was welcome for them nevertheless flowers and wreaths and bands of music met them as they went through the town and women and little children flung them kisses and threw blossoms in their way this revived somewhat the drooping spirits with which they had gone forth and when they reached the camp and got a decent meal they felt better and more reasonable still the bitterness was there against those two who had used their power unworthily that night lying on a hard little cot in camp cameron tried to pray his heart full of longing for god yet found the heavens as brass and could not find words to cry out except in bitterness somehow he did not feel he was getting on at all in his search and from sheer weariness and discouragement he fell asleep at last three days and nights of rest they had and then were packed into tiny freight cars with a space so small that they had to take turns sitting down men had to sleep sitting or standing or wherever they could find space to lie down so they started across france three days and awful nights they went weary and sore and bitter still but they had air and they were better fed now and then they could stand up and look out through a crack once in a while a fellow could get a space to stretch out for a few minutes cameron awoke once and found feet all over him feet even in his face yet these things were what he had expected he did not whine he was toughened for such experiences so were the men about him the hardness merely brought out their courage they were getting their spirits back now as they neared the real scene of action the old excitement and call to action were creeping back into their blood now and then a song would pipe out or a much abused banjo or mandolin would twang and bring forth their voices it was only when an officer walked by or mention would be made of the captain or lieutenant that their looks grew black again and they fell silent injustice and tyranny the things they had come to fight and they would not forgive or forget their spirits were reviving but their hate was there at last they detrained and marched into a little town 
This was France. Cameron looked about him in dismay, a scramble of houses and barns, sort of two-in-one affairs. Where was the beauty of France about which he had read so often? Mud was everywhere. The streets were deep with it. The ground was sodden, rain-soaked. It was raining even then. Sunny France. It was in a barnyard deep in manure where Cameron's tent was set up. Little brown tents set close together, their flies dovetailing so that more could be put in a given space. Dog-weary, he strode over the stakes that held them and looked upon the place where he was to sleep. Its floor was almost a foot deep in water, rank, ill-smelling water. Pa, was this intention that he should have been billeted here? Some of the men had dry places. Of course, it might have just happened, but... Well, what was the use? Here he must sleep, for he could not stand up any longer, or he would fall over. So he heaped up a pillow of the muck, spread his blanket out, and lay down. At least his head would be high enough out of the water so that he would not drown in his sleep, and with his feet in water and the cold ooze creeping slowly through his heavy garments, he dropped immediately into oblivion. There were no prayers that night. His heart was full of hate. The barnyard was in front of an old stone farmhouse, and in that farmhouse were billeted the captain and his favorite first lieutenant. Cameron could hear his raucous laugh and the clinking of the wine glasses, almost the gurgle of the wine. The thought of Wainwright was his last conscious one before he slept. Was it of intention that he should have been put here close by, where Wainwright could watch his every move? As the days went by and real training began, with French officers working them hard until they were ready to drop at night, Gradually, Cameron grew stolid. It seemed sometimes as if he had always been here, splashing along in the mud, soaked with rain, sleeping in muck at night, never quite dry, never free from cold and discomfort, never quite clean, always training, the boom of the battle afar, but never getting there. Where was the front? Why didn't they get there and fight and get done with it all? The rain poured down day after day. Ammunition trains rolled by. More men marched in. More marched on. Still they trained. It seemed eons since he had bade Ruth and his mother goodbye that night at the camp. No mail had come. Oh, if he could just hear a word from home. If he only had her picture. They had taken some together at camp, and she had promised to have them developed and send them. But they would probably never reach him. And it were better if they did not. Wainwright was censor. If he recognized the writing, nothing would ever reach him, he was sure. Still, Wainwright had nothing to do with the incoming mail, only the outgoing. Well, Wainwright should never censor his letters. He would find a way to get letters out that Wainwright had never censored, or he would never send any. But the days dragged by in rain and mud and discouragement, and no letters came. Once or twice he attempted to wire a respectable letter to his mother, but he felt so hampered with the thought of Wainwright having to see it that he kept it securely in his pocket and contented himself with gay pictured postcards which he had purchased in Brest, on which he inscribed a few non-committal sentences, always reminding them of the censor and his inability to say what he would and always ending, Remember me to my friend and tell her I have forgotten nothing but cannot write at present for reasons which I cannot explain. 
at night he lay on his watery couch and composed long letters to ruth which he dared not to put on paper lest somehow they should come into the hands of wainwright he took great satisfaction in the fact that he had succeeded in slipping through a postcard addressed to herself from brest through the kindness and understanding of a small boy who agreed to mail it in exchange for a package of chewing gum here at the camp there was no such opportunity but he would wait and watch for another chance meantime the long separation of miles and the creeping days gave him a feeling of desolation such as he had never experienced before he began to grow introspective he fancied that perhaps he had overestimated ruth's friendship for him the dear memories he had cherished during the voyage were brought out in the night watches and ruthlessly reviewed until his own shy hope that the light in her eyes had been for him began to fade and in its place there grew a conviction that happiness of earth was never for him for he reasoned if she cared why did she not write at least a postcard other fellows were getting letters now and then day after day he waited when the mail was distributed but nothing ever came his mother seemed to have forgotten too surely all these weeks some word would have come through it was not in reason that his mail should be delayed beyond others could it be that there was false play somehow was wainwright at the bottom of this or had something happened to his mother and had ruth forgotten End of chapter 16